Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are two math teachers who, together with you, the community of educators worldwide, want to build and deliver math lessons that spark engagement, fuel learning, and ignite teacher action. Welcome to the second ever episode of Making Math Moments That Matter. Are you ready to do this, Kyle? I am so ready. Let's dive in. So, John, what's a quick win for you from today? Uh, well, you know what? Today in my, you know, my grade nine math class, we were working on linear systems uh, and I had... I had a problem that I wanted to do. I wanted, I had to, uh, you know, that was typical membership problems. It's like you go to a gym membership uh, and membership one has uh, this uh, monthly cost, but this flat rate to get in. And this membership, you know, it might, it might be a, a straight flat rate. And then this other membership has a different monthly cost and a very typical problem. Um, I, w- I wanted to kind of tackle that thinking about what is the best option between these three uh, op- uh, these three memberships. And, uh, you know what? I, 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 I wasn't, you know, I, I was, I was, I guess a little worried about, about this lesson. I wanted to spice it up a little bit. And, and I did one little thing, you know, I, I changed the first thing I wanted to say in front of the kids is I showed the memberships, but I didn't ask any math questions. I just, I just asked one question because I, I wanted to generate a lot of discussion early on. Um, and I think it went well. I, I all I said was uh, just compare the major differences between these plans, and that was it. That's what I said. And I said you have a, a couple minutes to discuss that, jot any of those major differences down. And and for me, saying that uh, was huge because, uh, and I wasn't expecting what happened is what you, you know. A couple uh, pairs of students were were writing major differences between the plans and stating you know the obvious ones and. You know, there were there were many groups diving into creating tables right away to show those major differences, and you know, I had like three groups writing equations. I wasn't prepared. Uh, well, uh, I wasn't like fully prepared for what happened right there. And you know, I thought that was a major win that I got to see exactly what everyone was was thinking about this before we even dove into that problem. So it was a, it was pretty cool to see today. I was pretty I was pretty happy. What was your quick win, Kyle? The one that sticks out for me uh, early in the day, got an opportunity to go and check out a grade three classroom uh, with a colleague of mine, uh, Yvette Lehman. And uh, we went to Begley Public School in Windsor, um, very, very diverse, uh, diverse student population. So we have lots of ELL or English language learners there. And I had the opportunity to go and see Hannah Elmy. Um, she's on Twitter at Miss H Elmy. So the letter H, so M-I-S-S, the letter H, Elmy, E-L-M-I. And uh, got an opportunity to check out her math class. She started off with a number talk. It was really cool. It was like a three by three, no, maybe four by four uh, grid uh, of numbers. And the question was, how many different ways can you make 19 using any operation you wanted? Uh, Great chat going on. And then after that number talk broke into some pretty cool math centers. So she was at the guided, uh, well, they call it the guided reading table, but really it was the guided math table today. And uh, she was working with small groups of students while others had a variety of math activities. It was very active learning environment. The kids were loving it. And then when she would have them rotate from center to center, she would use a little bell. And when you hit that bell or when she hit that bell, Uh, You could hear students like disappointed that they had to leave the area they were in so they could move to the next one. Um, I've got a link here, kylep.ca forward slash tweet two, the number two. So kylep.ca forward slash tweet two. If you want to check out uh, a tweet I shared, it's a video of two of her students playing math Jenga where she had taken a Jenga kit and wrote all kinds of math facts on it. And the students, once they pull a Jenga item, awesome. piece, they would uh, they would be covering the the answer 
and they would be looking at something like, let's say, six times three, and the student would have to uh, say the answer before adding it to the top of the tower. Um, so that's just one tweet of uh, many photos and videos I took while in the classroom. Uh, super cool experience. Uh, like I said in the in the last episode, love getting into the elementary classroom and and learning from my colleagues in the elementary panel. Awesome, awesome. That's uh, that's that's uh, I love that that Jenga uh, idea. Uh, I've seen it Not somewhere Jenga. else, and uh, I've seen it I've seen it one somewhere else with uh, with algebra expressions on it, and you pull it out and you have to do it before you can put it on top. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Um, in episode one. If you listen to episode one, we introduced you to our three-part Making Math Moments That Matter framework where uh, we want to ensure that we spark curiosity in order to fuel sense-making with our students that intentionally and also intentionally ignite our teacher moves before, during, and after the lesson. And today, uh, the goal of uh, the purpose of of this episode is we want to take uh, take some time and chat about how we can spark curiosity with a technique we call the curiosity path. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm I'm so excited for this, and you know we referenced it in the last episode. You know, John, you and I, and I, and I'm sure uh, many others out there, um, we've been on this journey of like engagement, right? And and oftentimes. You know, we're not really even sure what kind of engagement we're after. Um, but like for us, like we're after this like intellectual engagement, you know, not just behavioral engagement, we want just kids looking at us. We want them actively involved in our lesson. And uh, it's been a, a real challenge for us uh, until we started putting some pieces together. And, uh, and, and it, for us, it all started with this idea of the three act math task by Dan Meyer. And you know, really just tinkering with that for a number of years before we started to uh, kind of put the pieces together on on what we could do consistently to ensure that our students were leaning in when we began that next math task. For sure, for sure, we uh, we definitely were on that uh, that same journey, and uh, I remember thinking um, that seeing some of his videos and when we started to create our own videos, how curious I was, but also how curious my students became. And, uh, um, and when we started to piece together, how were, how were you doing it in the classroom and how were, was I doing in the classroom? And, you know, also seeing it from other, other teachers, there was a lot of, there's a lot of variability in how people were implementing Dan's tasks, our tasks. Um, definitely, I was I was implementing them differently uh, in the beginning uh, than I do for now, for sure. Um, and then, uh, I guess, I guess what we're, we we want to do in this episode is we want we want to help you skip some of the errors that we were making and skip some of the uh, the 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 tools or the the routines that we think aren't as as uh, impactful as uh, as the the one we want to give you today, which is about the curiosity path. Uh, so we want to outline that for you, and we want to give you some examples today, uh, hopefully, uh, so that you can spark curiosity with your students. Beautiful, beautiful, yeah. And and you know, if we go back um, right to the the idea of that three act math task, and I I think. You know, maybe it's because I, I just I was that that kid in school that really wasn't super interested in my English classes. Like that whole literature piece just wasn't for me. Um, I I sort of missed the message in the beginning of even like why we call them or why Dan called them a three act math task, but just this idea of using elements of storytelling. And I think anyone who who knows a lot about storytelling could probably like piece it together a whole lot faster than maybe you or I did there, uh, John. But like we initially were not very good storytellers. Like we, we would take these tasks and we would sort of, you know, we'd, we'd play them sort of like out of the blue, uh, oftentimes after we already like taught a lesson. So it was sort of like, you know, we had killed some curiosity right away because if I just did this like lesson back in the day, it was like a note, Right. right? Like it was like, ratios and rates, right, would be the note. And then we'd play this video and then I'd be like, all right, uh, how are you going to solve this? And they're like, with a ratio. No surprise here. It wasn't very, 
that. There was nothing going on there. Um, so these were, you know, big things and we're laughing it off now, but let, let's be honest, like, you know, we were banging our heads against the wall for a really long time, not really putting that idea together. Um, so what we've tried to do, and, and we've done a lot of learning about, you know, how storytelling works and, uh, and really how, how we can make our math classes more like, uh, like that idea of the, the storytelling piece versus making it about, you know, just some video or some photo. Uh, it's actually like much bigger than yeah, that. Yeah, uh, for sure. And, and to get in, to get into this, this idea of storytelling, like think of our, our, our math lessons traditionally right now, you know, when you think about your math lessons traditionally, you're walking into uh, a new lesson. Kids are going to sit down. You're going to, you know, you're going to do job number one, which is uh, always right. Always to take up the homework. Can't miss the homework. That's no, for, sure. for sure. And then, uh, you know, job number two is, is I would write on the board, uh, the outline for today. Like today we're going to learn about this. And then, and then we would give, you know, example after example after example, uh, and then we would do in like an application problem at the end and, and that kind of stuff. Like thinking about that as a line of how a, a lesson would go, um, to how, like, and then how do I modify that so it can spark curiosity? Like, and when Dan Myers, you know, when we started using videos to spark that curiosity, you know, that throws, that throws a huge monkey wrench into what kids expect of that lesson. So it's like it shakes up a whole lesson for sure when you decide you're not going to start uh, and follow that, uh, you know, that model of what an math lesson is supposed to be. So um, sometimes there's resistance for the students. First off is that when you start changing that model of math, uh, kids are going to be like, what is going on right now? And uh, we want to, right. you know, we had this happen with our students for sure. Um, kids would be like, what do you like? What do you mean you want me to do something different than take notes? Uh, and uh, I just just I guess uh, to be clear is like you're it's going to happen uh, if you and that would happen anytime you change your routine for sure in your classroom. But uh uh, I would I would say if any change like this that we suggest here today, uh, stick with it because because with these changes allow your students to think more deeply about the math and and that's what we want. Like all the that lesson that I outlined, that traditional lesson was the the lesson where I was doing all the thinking and they weren't doing the thinking. So we've got some we got a nice we got a nice progression to change that so that they're doing more thinking early in the lesson. Um, and it slowly builds up this idea of getting to math. And uh, I think that's that's a great technique versus the old traditional lesson. You just dove into math right away and and you lost half right. your kids right off the bat because they didn't remember yesterday's lesson. Yeah, we're, we're definitely uh, creatures of habit, right? Like humans are creatures of habit. And I, I think the the pushback we received too, to be very specific, was, was the, the more of our like high achievers that – really didn't like it. And and I think the reason I didn't know at the time, at the time I was like, ah, oh, man, I better go back to what I was doing because obviously the the high achievers know what's best. And and if this isn't going to work for them, then like, wow, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, really, really in trouble here. Um, but in the reality, it's like, well, those high achievers are the ones who like figured out the game, right? Like they figured out how to play the game of, you know, copy down what Mr. Pierce puts up on the board. And, you know, oh, I've noticed that on the assessment, like, you know, the the questions that he puts a big star next to happen to look an awful lot like the ones on the test. And, you know, like the, these are all things that those students have like picked up on and, and they know how to win that game. So for them, they would much rather just sort of continue doing things as is. Um, but when you do this, you're going to be shaking things up. Um, so let's let's yeah. dive in here and let's talk a little bit about this curiosity path, uh, like first off for us, and I've heard Dan say this before, uh, I heard, and I think I've only heard it recently simply because like, I didn't know what I was listening for maybe initially, like I didn't have enough experience to maybe understand what he was getting at, but it, it's this idea of withholding information. So rather than 
you know, us coming with this problem and giving kids everything they need, like that just completely sucks out all the curiosity. Like, let's start kind of like your, your win of the day you talked about where you just had kids talk about, you know, like what are the major differences? You know, you didn't, it it wasn't like you, you let the whole cat out of the bag. Like, here's what we're going to do with all this information. You just got them talking about it. So it's like a really low level of entry and everyone can get in. And by just withholding information, you know, you, you have a little bit of that, like wonder, you know, like you're sitting there, like going like, huh, like what's going on here? I wonder what's coming next. And for some of those high achievers that might make them feel uncomfortable initially, but again, sticking with it, I think, uh, there's a big payoff at the end for sure. Uh, for sure, for sure. And, and when you're, when you're thinking about withholding information and if you have played or, and when I say played, but I've, you know, used one of our lessons from our, you know, real world problems or one of Dan's or one of a variety of, of people's lessons in your class, and you've shown the act one video or act one image. Um, and, you know, all of those, those really successful, those, those great lessons that, that generate so much discussion and get kids in right away are the ones that withhold the most information and, and getting that, like that's a key element, and and so many people I think miss that uh, about why something is curious. Uh, some there's so many so many teachers. You 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 know I've I've had many conversations with teachers. It's like why do you think that lesson was so curious, or why why did it spark you know something in your students to begin with? And a lot of them will say, oh, you used a video, you know, John, like uh, uh, that video with you in it, or or you know. Maybe it was that math problem that had a kid's name in it. Uh, and they were like, oh, it was awesome to see my name on the screen. You know, some I used to think that about I, I used to do that for sure. Put kids' names in it because they're gonna want to learn more. And and people people think yeah. that that's that's what makes something more curious than something else. But but those videos that have been, you know, spread around and the ones that we've been creating and th- those ones that really make the lesson better way better than the other ones is the ones that withhold the most information. Right, right. And and it's like that withholding of information that builds this this second part of the pathway which is like the anticipation. So, you know, we've tried to be uh, general with our terminology in the in the pathway so that people don't get confused and think that, you know what, I got to go out and film a video of something that kids are interested in because I feel like I I did that early on as well. Like it was like I had to go, you know, if kids are interested in hockey, I got to make sure the, you know, the 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 image or the video that I'm doing is hockey and that that's not really true. You know, of course, you know, if, if you could find a scenario like that, that's, that's helpful, but that's not what like hinges curiosity, like, like curiosity doesn't hinge on that idea. It's this idea of like anticipating what is coming next. And if I don't withhold that information, then there's not really a whole lot to anticipate. So those ones are pretty close and tied at the hip. So if I can get them anticipating, then it gives us a great gateway to our next part of this pathway. And John, I'll let you unpack this uh, this next piece of the pathway, the third piece. Right. Here. So if, if we have done a setup, like the withholding information uh, and the anticipation, to create that anticipation is something is like one of our teacher moves that has to happen before the lesson begins. So you have to make a conscious effort that you are going to withhold information uh, because once you give it out, like you can't take it back. So we have to make that the beginning of, of what happened. Like that has to happen first where if we do that, that's what allows the next piece, which is another teacher move to happen is we want to, uh, or, uh, use what, uh, Annie, Annie Fetter's been sharing, which is notice and wonder. So if you've withheld information to generate that anticipation in your students, you can now ask them, uh, what do you notice and what do you wonder from this image or from this uh, graph or from this, uh, uh, video that you've just watched that doesn't have quite all the information. And from that noticing and wondering, what I like to do with my students, um, I get the most out of this is if I do, uh, uh, you know, most people call this a think pair share where I have them on their own jot down uh, things they notice and things they wonder under two different headings uh, from the image or the video or the graph or whatever we're looking at. And then 
after a minute of doing that, only, only a short time is all they really need to in point form um, write those noticings winners. And then after that, after they've thought on their own, then share with a partner. And once they've shared with a partner, it's like they've got that out. Uh, into the open. It's like they've validated, they've, someone's heard their noticing and wonderings and now it's yeah. out into the open. And that makes it so much easier when I ask for the class to now share with everybody um, because I get so right. much more engagement. And, and I know that if I did not do the, do it first, share with a partner. And I just skipped that part and went straight to Hey, what do you notice in Wonder Kids? And expected them to say something to the whole class out loud first. I get way fewer uh, noticing wonderings right. as a class, and it, and it doesn't seem to generate the discussion that I'm looking for. Yeah, it's like you get crickets, right? And I, I think you know there, there's a couple things going on there, but the big one for me is you know it's nobody. It doesn't matter if you're an adult or if you're a child or if you're a teenager in a high school class. Nobody wants to throw an idea out there before they've had like a bit of a sounding board, mm -hmm. right? So that that pair part before you share out to the room, it's sort of like you get a you get that initial like reaction, uh, and you get to sort of get this feedback like, oh yeah, like that that's actually a, you know a pretty interesting notice or wonder, or you know like you know if if it doesn't go over so well with your partner, then you're like, yeah, maybe I won't share that one out. Um, but the, the other piece for me that's big is just this idea that like every student can participate in this portion mm -hmm. of the lesson and what we're doing through this process by by slowly revealing information and building that anticipation then finally letting kids notice and wonder is you're essentially like i hate to use the word trick but really you're tricking the kids into understanding the context of the problem before the problem even arises so it's like you could ask any kid in the room about the scenario and they all understand like the like the pieces of the puzzle before we even know what it is we're going to try to solve. So it's almost like everybody's put a little bit of that skin into the game and then then we could like write these things down and 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 sort of like show kids that like all everything that they say and I always use the terminology I would say anything and everything that you notice and wonder like I try to make it very clear that we are not looking for only math like type noticings or math type wonders like I want the funny kid in the class to come up with something I want the student who you know usually has their arms crossed and doesn't want to participate I want that student to share something even if it's something that you know I'm, I don't want to say inappropriate but like not you know not very helpful I'm going to write that stuff down and then we can like then start looking at some of these things and go like which ones like which which wonders here um, can we actually try to answer here? Like what information do we need? And like, maybe like which notice, like the things that you've noticed here, like are any of these going to actually be helpful to us to answer some of these wonders? Right. And it just gets that discussion going so early, that mathematical discourse so that when you do get to the nuts and bolts, the math, you don't have the, like crickets there where, you know, it's the same three kids putting their hands up. It's like everybody's already like spoken in the room and they all feel like they've offered something of value. And that gives us this opportunity, this great opportunity to kind of take us to this last step in the pathway, which is this idea of giving them an opportunity to estimate or predict based on any of the wonders that you sort of land right. on. So John, like, like, tell us a little bit more, like, how do you, how do you figure out like which wonder, you know, we sort of go for, go with uh, as, as like a leaping off point. Um, and then, you know, to set us up for this idea of like estimating or predicting. And, you know, I'll talk a little bit more about like why it might be an either or in that particular right. case. Uh, but tell us more about like, how do we land on a wonder? Uh, just before, just before I get there, I want to go back to uh, the notice and wonders just for a moment, because I know that uh, there is some drawbacks to this and, and like warnings that we can have, like Kyle, what would be your, what would be something that you'd want to, you know, warn people about, or what are some of those things that are like, these things can happen and we want to like, let you know on how do you might handle that? Do you know what, you know what I'm saying?
Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? Setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait. Head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, totally, totally. I mean, you know, there's, uh, there's well, I mean, I know a couple mistakes for me with the notice and wonder is, is like limiting it. Uh, I sort of referenced it earlier, but this idea of like anything and everything to me is something that I do now because I used to say, you know, sort of like, what might the question be? Or I might say, you know, like, what do you notice and wonder mathematically? And like right there, it's just, you know, you're just shutting out those, those most, uh, you know, those most um, vulnerable students in our class that we're actually trying to like find ways to engage them. Um, that just shuts them down. So those are, those are some of the mistakes. What are, what are some of the other pieces there, John? I was thinking, thinking? Uh, you know, like I, I always want to tell people that um, you're, you're going to get the first time you're going to do this. There's a couple things to watch out for that will happen and it. And it's okay that this happens. And one of those is you're going to get a kid who tries to test the limits. And this is what I think so many teachers are afraid of. They're they're afraid that if I ask notice and wonderings, who knows what the kids are going to say. Um and, yeah, and so like right, you're right. going to get a class clown that says, yeah, you know, like ooh and they make a joke and and I always just say that's fine. Just roll with it. Write it down on the board, just like every other uh, kid's uh, notice and wonders. And that takes the power out of that student and that's over. And the next time you do one, they're not going to write it. They're going to want to write the one that you pick or the one that you you settle on later. Um, so that's yep. that's something. And, and that that student there that you're talking about, like, you know, it might even be something that may not necessarily be inappropriate, but sort of like, you know, it could suck the energy out of the room, like, you know, especially if, if they say it in a negative way. So, for example, like, why are we even doing right. this? Like, you know, they raise their hand, you pick that student, it's a student, you know, the, the, the student who you know, tends to, uh, you know, cause a little bit of trouble here and there. And, you know, you go, you know, this student wants to participate, you call on them and they go, why, like, why are we Mm -hmm. even doing this anyway, you know, or something. And it's like, you know what, take it, you put it down. And, and I even try to like talk to that student about it saying like, you know what, I might be thinking the same thing, like something crazy is going on here, you know, like, what am I thinking? And just kind of play it off and, and really just try to look at it and and not take it personally, because you're going to get some of that might be from a, from a high achiever. It might be from maybe a student who, you know, tends to be a little bit more negative uh, each day, but it's like over time that, you know, you just build this culture and and it's, it's how you handle those situations early that is going to kind of make or break your success here. Because if I take offense to it, or if I respond negatively, uh, it's going to be really tough to, you know, sort of take that chance to try one yeah, of these Yeah, for again. sure. And and like you said, I welcome that question. And I write it down right away. And I, and I, I say like, yeah, like, what are we doing here? I, like you said, just play it up. Like you, this is weird, isn't it? And, and uh, write that down. Because what I do is at the end of the lesson, when we go back through these wonders and we we answer the one that we 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 settle on, um, and then I go to that that kid in front of everybody and say, "Why did we do this?" And every time I've I've done this, that kid will say, "So that we could do this math question." And right, and it was like you've answered this, you put the why up, and they never need the why again. And if they do, we do the exact same thing, and and it's no big deal. Uh, but I, I like that you said that creating the culture is so important because that is another thing that we, 
that we kind of overlook that we think, you know, uh, someone like we're saying, try this routine out in your class with a, a three act math problem or a problem that withholds information. And, and you think this is going to be initially the savior of, of your engagement in your class in the math discussions. And it can be, uh, let's not, let's not, uh, get that wrong. But, but what can happen is that, that, you have to do this not as not as a one-off it's got to be more of a routine like like you said kyle that you have to create a culture where it's okay that kids voice their opinions and their concerns and their wonders um and so that's hard to do and that's done with with a routine of doing this on a regular basis um in your classroom uh if you did your traditional math lesson that we that we talked about and then you decide the next day you're going to do a lesson like this uh where you've been the person that always did the talking and always uh questions are right or wrong and you don't open the floor to this um it's it's probably not going to be as smooth as you liked and so it's something that you have to do over and over and over again and and you'll and it will become a custom in your room yeah, I, totally. I, I, I know there's one more thing we should warn uh, people about, which I, I always think, and I know that you alluded to this earlier about high achievers. Uh, there's, it's the, it's the high achievers that are going to resist this the most. And I know that you've experienced this. Want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I actually, uh, like one, the, the story I, I tend to, uh, that, that sticks out in my mind was, was a student in my class. It was a, a female student, a grade nine class. She, she was the top student. In, I, I want to say it was every year in her elementary school, but I know definitely in her grade seven and eight year and, uh, and, and came into the class and it was like, it was, she was not happy with the way I was, I was leading my lessons. And, and at first I didn't understand, you know, like what the issue was. Um, and, and it really bothered me because, you know, like, like I said, it's like, I, I respect my high achievers opinion, because I'm like, well, they're like, they're doing well here. So like, I must be doing something wrong. And it took me a little while after a few weeks it, you know, she, she sort of let it go. Um, but really what it turned out to be, and I I eventually kind of put the pieces together. She was not comfortable being outside of that realm of, uh, of like comfort in knowing that, like, if I just copy the note down and I do the thing that I always do, which is like, just sort of memorize the problems that I'll likely see. Um, like she was not comfortable with this, like uncertainty, especially early in a lesson where, you know, it was like that anticipation was almost killing her in a way. And like, she needed to, she needed to, you know, sort of build up this, this resilience, um, because she actually wasn't showing a growth mindset. She wasn't showing that resilience. And, uh, and after a while, I realized that like this, this student really was struggling with the inability to outperform her peers early in a lesson. And like, when you think about every other class that I ever taught before doing this stuff, like before actively trying to change how I taught my math lesson, I was essentially creating an environment where the top achievers could very early in a lesson outdo their peers because it was all very answer driven. It was very like, here's the problem, solve the problem. And, you know, nobody else would want to solve it or any, any of the the students that didn't feel as comfortable with the math wouldn't even attempt it because all of the keeners would have their hands up, you know, before too long. And, and with this process, everybody's on the same level playing field and this particular student, I, I think in her mind, it was like, she, I, I don't think she explicitly knew that she was acting this way, but I think like to her, it was like, this is the thing that I'm better at than everyone. And you've like taken that away mm-hmm. from me. And I, I think there was this like fight or flight response that she had, and it took a little while, but she eventually came around and, and she did admit to me that she felt like she actually understood the math and she actually felt like she like could solve problems, like actual problems that I didn't pre-teach her mm-hmm. to solve, which was like a huge, you know, relief to me. Because if she left my class not saying that, then I would have always wondered, you know, uh, whether she just really despised this uh, this method or not. But I, you know, she did come around, and uh, it is something that you know I wish someone would have told me. Um, but uh, but I, I experienced it myself, and, and luckily. 
um, things worked out in the end. Yeah, very true. I have uh, had very similar experiences, but uh, never never really thought about it the way you just said about taking, uh, you know, that student thinking that you're taking this away from me, and this is this is what I have uh, in this class. Very very interesting. Uh, appreciate that story. Um, thinking about. The, the, this curiosity path, uh, we started with, we can create curiosity uh, by withholding information from pretty typical problems. Uh, also, those video problems do that. Um, th- that helps create anticipation, which leads into allowing you to ask your students what they notice and wonder, which helps drive uh, which question uh, you want to settle on with your classroom. Um, and that's that's the purpose. It's it's you're kind of giving off this uh, this look that you're allowing your class to choose the path for today on what what uh, what we're going to study. And, and think about that. Like no other another math class. Do you usually do that? It's like the teacher says, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And, and this gives off, like kids start to feel like they have some power here. Like I'm going to feel like I'm going to choose the lesson for the topic for today. Because if a kid says, you know, um, I notice that, uh, uh, the number of sticky notes that are going on that wall, uh, is 113. And, and another says like, I wonder how many sticky notes are going to cover that. But another kid says like, I wonder how fast they'll cover that. Um, one kid's thinking already like rates and thinking of going down that path. And another kid's thinking about area, uh, in, in covering a surface, uh, we're wondering like where we're going to go. And you as the teacher, and this is for me, like there's many different approaches to this, right? Kyle, like uh, there are many teachers that, that, uh, might go exactly like where all the kids go eventually, like they'll go down that path and then they'll go down that path. Right. Um, me in my, my high school class, uh, I will carefully select these kinds of problems because I want to attempt, uh, or I want to tackle a particular learning goal, um, in my class. So I will kind of have one, uh, I have my one topic picked out and I will pick a kid's wonder to explore that's closest to the one that I've that I've picked out. Like, for example, it, in uh, the task where I mentioned where we're putting your kids are watching sticky notes getting put along the wall and a kid says, I wonder how many sticky notes are covering that wall. That's the question that I'm hoping someone can will answer or sorry, ask so that we can say like, uh, Katie asked this question. Now let's go and explore. We can go and explore that question uh, and she feels empowered today. Uh, and that's that's a great thing to happen in your class right. too. Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, Do us this huge solid. Uh, We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's, it's great. Um, uh, you know, we didn't mention this, but with the noticing and wondering, especially early in the year, this might change as time goes on and as that culture is created. Uh, but initially like we're jotting down, like all of these noticings and all of these wonderings, we're like putting kids names. It's a great way as well to like learn the names of your students because like you're going, Oh, and your name again, and you're, you're writing it down on the board and you're, you know, like you're helping yourself kind of like build a relationship with the kids, but at the same time you're empowering them and showing them that their voice matters. And, and like you said, it's like, you've got this learning goal in mind and, you know, of course, in certain cases, you're hoping like a specific question might come up. Sometimes it doesn't, and that's okay too. So you have to you have to decide and anticipate ahead of time, like what are some of the noticings and wondering students might come up with? And are there any others that you might be able to work with 
that might not have been your initial intent that would still allow you to get at the learning goal or the learning intention that you had in mind. So like you said, John, like there's so many different ways that you can do that. Everyone's got a different sort of style. I'm going to suggest at least for me, and I, I think you were, were much the same based on our, our previous conversations that early on, I was like, I did not want to like be very flexible <laughs> because I wanted to make sure the lesson went okay. And I was so nervous about, you know, doing it quote unquote, right. Um, so for me, like I've got these questions in mind and, and sometimes, you know, it's okay too, if you as the teacher get mm -hmm. to pick the question too. So, um, you know, we, we don't want to leave this as like, it's so open where like, who knows what you're going to actually be teaching that day. Like you definitely want to have learning goal in mind. Um, but the benefit is, is maybe that by answering one of the questions, you might, might be able to address some of the others as well. So giving like students that, you know, at near the end, when you, you answer one of those problems, like, are there any others that we might be able to answer now based on what we've just done? Like, what else do you need? And, and again, that's another way to sort of empower those students and let them know that, you know, it was a worthwhile, um, worthwhile exercise to share your notice and wonders. It wasn't like we were just, you know, doing it right. to appease them. Um, and, and once we land on that wonder that we want to work with, that's where you give them another opportunity to, again, engage in that mathematical discourse that like that thinking by giving them if it's a problem that they can make an estimate because they can spatially see a quantity of some type or predict if it's something that, you know, maybe there's not uh, there isn't a quantity like visible, but, you know, they're going to make a prediction based on some sort of prior knowledge. Like this is another opportunity that, you know, kids can turn and talk and then, you know, do that think pair share piece where, you know, you can get all kinds of predictions out in the open. And really, like I'm going to call it a bit of a math fight. That's, uh, you know, terminology I know you uh, you use and some others in the math uh, math space use quite a bit, but you can get some pretty uh, you know, pretty passionate students when they toss out a prediction mm -hmm. or an estimate and it's like way off from their neighbor and they're kind of looking at each other like, what the heck are you thinking? It really gives you like a, an opportunity for them to really like bite into this problem and, and, and really. Yeah. Especially the, that prediction piece, which is the fourth, the fourth piece of the curiosity path. Um, I, I really like to prolong that part when we get those predictions out there because, you know, s some students have a hard time making that and uh, those predictions. And it's great to start off with um, asking kids, like, give me a wrong answer first and and like what's not right. And, and you can classify that that not right answer by saying, like, what's not right? That's too low. Um, like if we're talking about that sticky notes on the wall, um, how many do you know is not the right answer? And a kid's going to say, well, like two is not the right answer. And so you're like, yeah, we know two is not the right answer. I wonder how risky you can get with the too low. And you'll start to see kids go, I, and the, their, their wheels are spinning about how much they can bring that too low up before it becomes too risky for the actual number of what they want to predict. And then you can do the same for a too high. Like what's too high? A million's too high. We know a million is too high. Let's be risky. Let's be risky. Bring it <laughs> down. Like how risky can you get with a too high? And and you, what you're doing, the kids are framing in reasonable responses, uh, reasonable answers, uh, which we don't do a lot when we're talking about problem solving. We, we don't frame in like what are reasonable responses so that when I get an answer out of this, does it fall in my reasonable responses or not? So having kids predict right. allows them to put that box around what the reasonable responses will be. So, and then they can make a, a, a nice prediction inside that box. Um, and then compare it to the rest of the class, which generates like even more discussion about number sense, about um, the concepts evolved in kids. And what's happening here, which I always find what's happening here that gets overlooked is kids are starting to problem solve. They are starting to think about how can I get my, yeah. my, my prediction more accurate? What will I need uh, to go further um, in this problem? 
Yeah. And the, the beauty too, and you know, you, you hit on it there, that this idea that they're already like in that problem solving process and they're thinking and like you, d- depending on the questions you ask students and what they share, like when you ask them, like, why, like, why did you come up with that estimate or that prediction, depending on, you know, the scenario, um, you know, when you ask them to explain, it gives you like a window, like a diagnostic into their thinking. So, you know, depending on the problem, like, are they thinking like multiplicatively? Are they thinking additively? Like what, what is going on in their brain? And we haven't even introduced any, like we haven't given them enough information to actually do any sort of calculation or any sort of like formal procedure. So it really gives you like that, that window into their, into their thinking. And John, I've heard you say this a number of times before, and, it, and it's something I think about a lot now. And it's this idea that after like all of these students, like give these predictions, they have their, their own high and low, like you said, and then they like narrow in on like, what do they think like their best, their best prediction or best estimate is. And then they share that all out. And then it's like all of these best guesses or best predictions are shared out and it almost mm-hmm. like frames like that that border for the entire class that range for the entire class and then this is where you know you you drop it on them and say like the power of math like the next thing that we're going to do is we're actually going to try to like zero in on a more precise approximation and in many cases like a very very precise uh approximation but like this idea that oftentimes textbooks lie to us and that you know the situation is very static when in the real world there's like so many different factors and extraneous variables and you know so the, this power of math is to take this like estimate that we have and look at that range and to be able to like zero in and become even more precise. And that's when you have them like hook, line and sinker and all the students are there just kind of waiting to dig in. They've already been thinking about like the stuff that they want to know. And now you ask them like, what do you want to know from me? Maybe I'll give it to you. I always tell them, maybe I won't. But then you get to kind of hear from them. Like, what are you like, if you want this piece of information, why? Like, what do you want to do with that piece of information? Or if you want this piece of information, like, what were you thinking? And it just gives you like so many options where you get to decide what to give them next. Again, for me, I have like all of that uh, like thought out ahead of time. But as you get more comfortable, you might be able to pull a little bit of a modification based on where the conversation's going. So depending on how flexible you become, yeah, with this it's, process. it's a huge, it's a, it's a very powerful moment uh, when they make a prediction and then you ask them what they want to know and they can tell you, and they've just done some problem solving and you haven't even given them the information yet. Uh, a huge thing. And, and if you think like, why don't we just skip to the prediction piece and skip all that other stuff that we talked about the first three, if you did that, it wouldn't be that powerful. Uh, you need to go through right. the withholding information. Like you need to withhold the information so that they can anticipate first. And the, the noticing and wondering slowly builds to that estimation. Like it's, it's that storytelling aspect that we started the top of the show with. And, and it's unfolded here is a, in a math lesson. Yeah. No, beautiful. Beautiful. Well, like once again, I want to, uh, I know I'm looking at the time here, John, and we are like, I feel like every episode's going to be like this because once we get going, we just like talking and, uh, and, you know, I, I hope folks have found this, uh, valuable. So just to, just to quickly summarize, like our curiosity path, this one of many different ways that you can, spark curiosity in your math class, this idea of like withholding information, like don't give too much up front, just like sort of drip feed this information out there to build that anticipation, ask kids to notice and wonder and and give them the time to do it. I know we're so rushed to get through curriculum, but like, let's slow down a little bit and let the kids notice and wonder. And I think you'll be amazed at what kids come up with, what they notice that you never noticed and what they wonder that you thought like they might not actually care about. Like they actually are curious, like we're naturally curious. And then finally giving them this opportunity to throw out estimates and actually use some of their problem solving skills and to build and sharpen their estimation skills. Um, that is 
one of those key pieces for sparking curiosity from our three-part uh, framework. So, John, uh, what do, what are you saying about these these first few episodes? Uh, give us a little bit of a summary. Where are we going uh, well, next? these uh, these first few episodes, uh, we're 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 we've been going back and forth. Uh, we yeah, last episode one was about you know the introduction uh, to us and to the framework. Um, this one was about our number one tool for sparking curiosity. Uh, our next episode, episode which is going to be episode three, uh, it, we're going to dive into how we can fuel sense making and uh, what can we do in there to bring in that uh, that thinking out into the open. So we're going to give you some go to tools uh, to fuel sense making in your classes. Uh, I believe episode four, we're going to awesome. uh, unpack some of our teacher moves, uh, a few of them. Um, to uh, to get you moving on some of this stuff. Beautiful, beautiful. And then uh, keeping in mind that after those next couple episodes, we are going to have some uh, some folks from the math education space coming in. Uh, we don't want to mention any names yet. Uh, that'll be a surprise for you, as well as getting some folks just from the math education community in general with some challenges that I think we all tend to struggle with. For some, it's about like differentiation and meeting the needs of all the students in their classroom. For others, it's it's about like, you know, the the little intricacies behind sparking curiosity or, or parts of this, uh, this three-part framework. So um, in order to make sure you don't miss out on any of these new episodes as they come out each week, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, on Google Play, Stitcher, whatever podcast platform that you're using. And also, if you're liking what you're hearing, you could do us a huge favor to make sure that this message gets out to more math teachers around the world by sharing this podcast with a colleague and by leaving us a review on iTunes. We would really appreciate it. All show notes and links to resources from this episode can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode two. Again, that's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode two. And uh, John, what can they do until then if they don't want to wait for the next episode? So if you're not interested in waiting till episode uh, three, uh, why not watch our four-part video series to help build resilient problem solvers who don't want to stop learning when the bell rings? You can find that free four-lesson video series at makemathmoments.com slash lesson one. That's makemathmoments.com slash lesson one. Well, until next time, I'm John Orr. And I'm Kyle Pierce. High fives for us. And high fives for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook after completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.